Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am joined today with Sadiqa Johnson. She is an internationally best-selling author, novelist. She is a speaker and teacher. She is from Philadelphia, and she joins us to talk about her latest novel, The House of Eve. Sadiqa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ashley, so much for having me. And my first question for you is what is your definition of feminism? Feminism to me is inclusion. I would say inclusion of ideas, equal rights, equal pay, just really inclusion. And, you know, for, for everyone who falls under you know, the female gender or who identifies under female gender. And what is The House of Eve about? The House of Eve is a novel that takes place in the early 1950s. It's set between Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and it follows the story of two women. Ruby Pearsall is a 15-year-old girl on track to being the first in her family to go to college. She is working really hard at a scholarship, but then a forbidden love gets in the way of her destiny. And then we have Eleanor, who steps foot on Howard University's campus and falls in love with William William Pride. I I have another character with a very similar name. And for some reason, I get tongue-tied on that. But William Pride. She falls in love with William Pride. And he comes from a family that's old, Black, wealthy, and they don't just let anybody into their fold. And so she is desperate to fit in and she thinks that a baby is going to change that for her. But that's easier said than done. And these two girls, their lives intersect in the most unexpected way. Yes. And the haves and have nots is a striking part of the novel between Black people. We have Eleanor who said that she grew up in a shotgun house and William grew up with pillars in front of his home, just pure prestige. How did you write that tension? And what did you want to say about how Black people interact with each other? Colorism and classism is something that I'm really interested in. I, you know, this novel, Yellow Wife, was historical fiction as well. And it took place during slavery. And I could see the beginnings of that forming. And so I could feel those layers come out again in, in The House of Eve. And I think really what I was trying to do is just turn it on its head. Like, where do these ideas come from? Where does this hierarchy come from? You know, why do we divide ourselves socially, socially, uh, by economic, by skin color, by education, you know? And I really wanted to sort of go in and look at it with a microscope and use these characters to do it. And there's a line in the book where when Eleanor first meets William's family, and they're described as white-faced Negroes. And that line took me out because I was like, wow, what a way to describe this higher echelon of Black. And like I, I would say there's Black people and there's Black people. They have a little bit more oomph in their shoulders when they speak. And you see that also between Eleanor and Rose, who is William's mother, and just how they interact with each other. And Eleanor is purposely felt 
made to feel like she does not belong to sort of drive her away. But she puts her heels into the ground and says, no, I love this man. I'm meant to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That, that theme that you're talking about was one that took a while for me to write. It, you know, it was in my head. I could see it. But just getting it down on paper to show and contrast the different ways in which they thought, they behaved, and who, you know, who these upper echelon wealthy Black people during this time, um, you know, I'm writing about Washington, D.C., but I read Our Kind of People by Lawrence Otis Graham. And, you know, the book talked about D.C. and Chicago and New York and, and various places where this was the norm. And so I wanted to sort of peel back a layer there and just sort of give Eleanor a peek into a world that she knew nothing about and, and, and see what that felt like through her And she isn't necessarily ashamed of her upbringing, but you definitely see how she is trying to acclimate to this new environment. I loved Nadine. She was one of my favorite characters. So watching Nadine help her say, like, girl, this dress is not going to work out. Let me pull something from my closet so that you can really kind of fake it till you make it. And but also present yourself in your best manner that you have your whole life. You're just in a new you're in a new rounding of Black people. And don't we all need a friend like that? Somebody who's going to fix your slip and pull down your skirt and, you know, make sure that you are right for the party. And I I loved working on Nadine as well for those reasons. Yes. And what did you want to say about Black love and Black interracial love? And I guess we can also go with Black Interfaith or interfaith love. Well, just interfaith period because one of the characters is, is Jewish. Yeah, which you know, again, my my ideas for this book was to sh- sort of shed a light on parts of our history that we don't normally discuss. And when I was doing the research of North Philadelphia, which is where my maternal family is, I saw that. Black people and Jewish people lived in very close proximity. And I thought, well, there had to be some sort of connection. There had to be, I mean, there had to be a, a guy looking at a girl, girl looking at a guy. Like there, there's no way that that could not have happened. And so it's not something we always see. It's not something that we always read about. But for me, I was pretty convinced that I was telling a story that was already, you know, that it was true. And that's how I write fiction. I try and write from a place of truth. And so connecting these two characters, Ruby and Chimmy, characters that wouldn't normally be together, I thought was, I thought it was, it was fun, one, because I was able to explore the culture conversations between them and and see their differences and see where, you know, one person may have been sort of had blinders on and living in a bubble. And another person was like, let me give you the real of the real, you know? So I thought that it was important to show that contrast. And, you know, my, what I wanted to show was that I, I love writing about love. And so I feel like love survives or, or love is snuffed out. You know, and those are the two options. It could survive if if you keep feeding it. But even sometimes when you feed it, the people around you will snuff it out. They will kill it. And that was really what I was working for, for all of the love stories and the house. And between Eleanor and William, there's questions that they have to ask in between each other because they do fall in love so fast. And, and they show just how much love survives as well. 
between the two of them and just how much they love each other. And despite their class differences, they're really just two ordinary people who want to love one another. And that's usually what it is, right? It's the people around us who tell us what's right and what's wrong. But when we're talking heart to heart, love is love. Yes. And what did you want to say about community? We have Eleanor, who's from Ohio. She's frequently called Ohio by Nadine. How did you want community to be a pillar in this story? Well, I always feel that community is really important. And I wanted to show the different ways that we support each other in a community. So with Eleanor being from Ohio, you know, she lived in a community where she lived on the block with Germans and Polish and Italians. And so she didn't know that Black people separated themselves by color. And so she got to Washington, D.C. and stepped foot on Howard University campus. That was, you know, the first first time that she knew that. And I actually got that from Toni Morrison's The Pieces I Am because she was from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And, and that was she said something very similar. And I thought, oh, my goodness, like I have to write about this. And, you know, just the community around Ruby living in North Philadelphia you know, back in the 50s, everybody was watching you, you know, even though she was sneaking in and out of the house, the neighbor across the street was keeping tabs on her and letting her aunt know what she was doing. And so I wanted to show that because I think we've sort of lost that, that sense of community. I know, at least in my neighborhood, no one's calling me, (laughs) telling me what my kids are doing, you know? And so I wanted to sort of bring that era back in the story where people were looking out for each other you know, with whatever your community was, people were there for you. And seeing it as looking out for each other instead of kind of snitching. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you know that I was in the alleyway? Or how did you know that I was at the candy store? It's just the community looking out for each other, not making assumptions or, you know, trying to snitch on you. And you have two HBCUs in the story, which initially drew me into reading the story. You have Howard University, And you have Cheney University, which is one of the schools that Ruby is aiming to go to. Why were HBCUs important for you to have in the story, especially Cheney, which is the oldest HBCU? Cheney University is where my parents met. So Mm -hmm. if not for Cheney, I would not be here having this conversation with you. So Cheney has a a near and dear place in my heart. Philadelphia is where I grew up. So I knew that I was going to write about Philadelphia. And as I was Figuring out what schools that most African-Americans went to in the 40s and the 50s, Cheney or Lincoln University was the choice. And I knew that she needed to have a scholarship. And so that's why I picked Cheney. And Cheney is also the first historical Black university in the country. And people don't know that. And I'm always aiming to teach when I'm telling a story. And so that's why Cheney was important. And then Howard University has graduated the most Black professionals, lawyers, doctors, judges out of all of the HBCUs. And, you know, everyone knows Howard, but I always feel like, you know, Howard also needs it due. And I knew that I wanted to write about Washington, D.C. because the home that I based the story on, the home for unwed mothers, was actually a home that did exist in Washington, D.C., called the Florence Crittenden Home. And I went to visit. It's now a school, but I went and visited and took pictures and I could just feel. When I'm writing a story, it's like I have to go out and feel it, taste it, touch it, smell the energy, you know, all of that. And as I was there and I was standing on the grounds and I was taking pictures, I thought, oh, this is it. 
And so I knew DC, Howard University was a really great tie into the story I was trying to tell. And what was your research process? You had your author's note where you shared your inspiration for the story and it's it's a personal story to you. And you've also talked about your interests in this in this interview. What was your research process and what were you curious about? I was really curious about what happened to Black women when they got pregnant out of wedlock in the 40s and the 50s. My grandmother had my mother at 15. She got pregnant with her at 14 and always told me that she felt like the Black sheep of the family. And she said that when she had my mother, there was a lot of shame. And so they hid the pregnancy from everyone including my mother. My mother didn't know that my grandmother was her mother until she was in the third grade because there was so much shame and secrecy around it. And I thought, well, what options that women like her have if they couldn't get married, if they didn't have, you know, someone to send the baby to down south? Like what was, what, what did they have? I found these homes for unwed women and fascinating stories about you know, the things that these women went through. In fact, between 1945 and 1975, 1.5 million babies were surrendered in these homes. And I say surrendered because oftentimes the women were shamed, they were coerced, they were forced to give up their children. But in all of my research, I couldn't find one single Black woman's story. And I thought, well, I know our stories are not a single narrative. You know, I know that oftentimes it's sort of blotted out and washed away and we have to dig for it. And so I was curious of what did wealthy families do? This was before IVF, right? So you couldn't go and get treatment so that you could get pregnant. And so, and there was still a lot of shame around adoption and secrecy around it. And so I thought, what did, what did that group do? And that was sort of the beginning of me going in a direction to figure out what it was like to be Black and wealthy and what it was like to be poor and impoverished and how did these two worlds collide. Yes, curiosity breeds a lot of opportunities to explore other, does it just live in your mind, but just to really, when you know something is out there and you can bring your curiosity to it, it brings something wonderful, just like the House of Eve. And how was writing the varied Black women in this story? Eleanor, Ruby, Aunt Marie, Rose, Nadine, all of these women. Well, it was really interesting to me because I feel like we have these varied Black women in our families. You know, we come in, we come in contact with them on a daily basis. I try to bring in historical figures where I can since I'm writing historical fiction. And so Dorothy Porter was a real person. She was responsible for curating the largest Black and African collection of our stories at the Moreland Spingarn Center at Howard University's library. And I didn't know who she was. So I stumbled across Dorothy Porter in my research and I thought, this woman, this woman, people need to know who she is. So it was fascinating to discover, you know, how hard she worked over the 40-year period and to bring her story to life. Aunt Marie's character was based on Gladys Bentley, who was a lesbian cross-dressing singer who was very wealthy and, you know, did what she wanted to do and it was okay. And I thought, yeah, I need to write about someone like her. 
And so that's where Aunt Marie's character came from. So my research, sometimes I stumble upon things like I did with Dorothy Porter. And then sometimes I'm specifically looking for things. Of course, I went to D.C. and did the walking tour and got a feel of U Street and tried to imagine what Black Broadway was during, you know, during its heyday so that I could make sure that it stood up and and and, and really read well in the story. So I, I like to go out and about, but I also read an awful lot when I am doing research for a which seems to be the interesting piece because I know there are people when they're writing something, they don't want to read or watch anything at all. But to be more immersed in what you're writing in by going on the tour, the walking tour, by researching women, by being more specific with who you want to include in the story, it makes it all fascinating. Oh, I'm, I'm the total like immersion type of person. Everything I'm watching, everything I'm reading, everything I'm thinking. If I go to a museum, I go to the museum through the eyes of my characters so that I could pick up on things that they would pick up on. So I'm I'm constantly living with them as I'm writing a story. And then when I turn in the last drafts, I let them go. And my last question for you is what bookstore would you like our audience to purchase The House of Eve from? Well, I love so many bookstores. Do I only get to pick one? As many, as many as you would like. Okay. I would say I love Harriet's bookshop in Philadelphia, Mahogany, Mahogany Bookstore in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. I think it's great. Here in Richmond, Fountain Bookstore does a really wonderful job. Yeah, I would say just any local bookstore, they need our love. So just support all your local bookstores. You could always go to bookshop.com and that's a good way of supporting the independent bookstores. Sadiqa Johnson, thank you for joining us to talk about the House of Eve. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Hey, Renee Powers here. I'm the founder of Feminist Book Club, and I want to tell you a little bit about the Feminist Book Club Readathon. That's happening at the end of February, February 24th through 26th. It is online, and you might be wondering, well, what the hell is a readathon? And I'm going to tell you. The first thing you need to know about the FBC Readathon is that we have no rules. The only rule is to like read as much as you can. Because we're not here to make you feel guilty about not reading or being competitive about reading so many pages or so many books in so little time. That's absurd. We are just here to read in community online together and talk about books, enjoy the act of setting aside time for yourself. So the FBC Readathon it, at its core, is an invitation or a permission slip to take some time to sit down with your TBR stack or just the greatest book that you've been reading that you haven't had time to get to. Sit down and take some time to yourself and maybe check in with other readers around the world. I know that sounds great, but we also have incentives. If you sign up, to join the readathon, you will be entered to win a smorgasbord of prizes. Seriously, we have at least 100 books that we will be giving away over the course of this weekend. And we give them away across all our social media and our private group, which is a platform, which is hosted on a platform called Mighty Networks. It is our private group that we use for all of our members, but we're also opening it up to our readathon members for this weekend, which is so exciting. 
and we will be hanging out there. We might even do some live Instagrams. We might even do some Zooms of just like quietly reading together, like silent reading Zooms. It's something I've been wanting to do. Maybe we'll make it happen this year. So make sure you head over to feministbookclub.com slash readathon. See what's going on. Check out the latest and greatest from us about the readathon and set aside some time on that Friday, Saturday, Sunday to just sit down and read. Because I'm a big believer that you cannot pour from an empty cup. And one of the things that really fills my cup up is setting aside intentionally, making the decision to rest, to read, to get lost in a book. I think it is one of the best gifts we can give ourselves. And like I said, you might make a new friend on the internet. We all love a good pocket friend. You might make a new friend on the internet. You might win some books. You might not check in with the online social part of it at all, and that's wonderful. What I want for you is an experience that is unique to you, perfect for you, and entirely meant to fill up your cup. So this is your permission slip. This is an excuse. This is your invitation to tell everyone else, sorry, I can't. I have an event that weekend, and that event is you and your comfiest sweatpants and your favorite tea and the book that you have been so excited to read. And we will have recommendations. Do not worry about that. Go sign up right now. Feministbookclub.com slash readathon. And we cannot wait to hang out with you. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Some of Us Note Cards. When Audrey started this business, she wanted to create cards that she didn't see on the market. Cards to nurture women with abundantly colorful and emotionally healing images that are a complement to self-care. You see, Audrey is an author, a professor, a single mom, and a mental health advocate. She's always found handwritten notes to be healing, and in 2022, she decided to fill her dream of being a greeting card maker. It started with a desire to capture Black life on Martha's Vineyard, and extended to include images that are important to bookish women everywhere. This small business is still grounded in her home, and every day she strives to produce and share images that are crisp, strong, and beautiful. And she partners with organizations to be sure that every card she sells, she's able to make books and bookmarks available to incarcerated women and extend the ability to write to as many women as possible. We've loved partnering with Some of Us Note Cards in the past, and you can look forward to Some of Us Note Cards in the future from Feminist Book Club as well. But be sure you go over to someofusnotes.com and follow on Instagram at someofuscards. Remember, planting seeds of self-care, growing images we can love. Some of Us Cards. Hi, my name is Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor. And I'm here to talk to with you about our upcoming readathon. This will be my third year participating in the readathon, and it's such a relaxing and engaging time with our community. We are actively changing or updating our prompts, many of them which are engaging and fun for our communities on Instagram and Twitter and within our mighty network. It's a time to be creative. It's a time to relax. It's a time to engage with that book that is on your TBR. No shade, no judgment here. And it's also just a time to connect with you all on a more deeper level. It's very low stakes. I cannot emphasize that more. And this year, we also have our Radical Reading Challenge Passport, 
which is available on our website, feministbookclub.com. And what's great about the Passport is that there are a bunch of different reading challenges that inform you on how to read different genres, read something that you normally don't to set a goal, to engage with reading a little bit more differently and a little bit more broadly. I am looking forward to just reading a couple of books throughout the weekend and engaging with you all on Instagram. We hope to have you all there, either posting with us or definitely just participating in the way that is best for you. Thank you and have fun. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.